This week on the audio podcast, episode 68, Score Season Ends, we have an interview with MuseScore. We talk about Genelec speakers, Zen, and the art of production, and we facilitate your stalking of us throughout the break. It's the end of the season, but there's one more episode to go, so don't cry just yet. This is the 13th of August, 2012. This is the audio podcast, show number 68, score season end. I'm Scott Hewitt. Um, Scott McLaughlin is kind of here, but he's the kind of empty space because he vanished. Also joining us is our semi-pro guest presenter. Yes, uh, that's me, I'm, I'm supposing, uh, Adam Yanch. And this week we have a range of our standard news articles, a few other articles, a bit of plunder, but to start everything off, we have an interview uh, with the two chaps behind MuseScore, um, that is Thomas Bonte and Nicolas Fromont. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Nicolas or Nicolas. What's that okay? Nicolas, Nicolas, as you wish. Nicolas? Okay, no problem. So we're going to, uh, we're going to have a, an, an interview um, which basically follows on, because last week we had Derek, Derek Williams, was it, Scott? Yeah, that's right. Derek Williams of SibeliusUsers.org. Yes, and um, basically that was all about the Save Sibelius campaign. Um, MuseScore is actually an open source um, competitor. Well, I'm not sure if competitor is the right word, but um, basically a kind of Sibelius-like program, but that's uh, been made through the kind of open source community. So it's a, it's a really nice link to uh, last week's show. Um, if you'd like to see um, or listen to last week's show, you can head to theaudiopodcast.co.uk and we've got all the shows listed there. So I'm going to pass over to Scott Hewitt and get ourselves started. Okay then, so um, Thomas Nicholas, it's a great pleasure to have you on today. Could you tell us a little bit about the MuseScore project then? So, So what's it all about? So MuseScore is uh, basically software to make sheet music, uh, so-called music notation software. And uh, as Adam said, it's uh, open source, it's free. Uh, people can download it from uh, musecore.org, and it's available for Windows, Mac, Linux, um, almost all the Linux distributions that I know of, at least. Um, and uh, so far, we had almost 3.5 million downloads. So it's fair to say it's, uh, it's quite a successful project right now. And, uh, yeah, we add another 100,000 downloads per month, so things are going pretty well for us. So for um, our listeners who aren't sure what an open source, what open source means and what an open source project is, could you just say a little bit about the reasons, well, first of all, what it is, but also the reasons why you've chosen to be an open source project? Yeah. So MuseScore is, uh, is open source. Uh, the source code is written in C++, and it's open source under the license uh, GPL version 2. Um, now, the reason why it's GPL version 2 goes back to uh, our lead developer, uh, Werner Schweer, uh, who started MuseScore in 2002. And uh, he decided to release his uh, source code uh, under GPL 2 because he figured that's the only fast or good way to uh, to make my um, project available to the world so people can check it out, so people can help me uh, making it better, improving it. And uh, actually that worked out quite well because um, after a couple of years uh, we jumped on board, meaning myself and Nicola, and then uh, the whole group of contributors started to grow and today we have 
we have more than 300 uh, contributors, so people uh, making codes, people making translations, uh, documentation, graphics, uh, and so forth. So it's uh, yeah, it's become a huge success for such a small or niche software product, um, and and that's basically because it's 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 open source, so anyone can can just delve into the code and help. I guess awesome. I've said it all, Nicola, or is yeah. something more to be said? No, it's a uh, it's story. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So how come you uh, decided to get involved in this project? Uh, what was it about MuseScore that interested you, that interested you both? Um, I guess I'll, I'll let this one over to Nicola. Yeah, well, it's a, a long story, but uh, to make it short, uh, we are both musicians. Uh, I'm a drummer. Uh, and Thomas is a pianist, and so uh, we were looking for uh, something to create sheet music, and we were both programmers, and so, yeah, that was a, a part of the story. The other part of the story is we had an idea a long time ago. Um, we, we saw um, the founder of Wikipedia uh, in a conference, and we uh, envisioned a, a website to, to make a wiki for sheet music. And uh, one thing that was missing to do that is an editor for sheet music. Uh, and so something that is accessible, something with a very low cost, open source would be even better. And so we look for something and yeah, it was MuseScore. So that's how we jump into it and, and then ported it to uh, Windows and, and Mac and so on. Uh, so... Uh, you say you had uh, you have around 300 contributors or over 300 con contributors. Uh, what kind of things do both of you do? What what are your most general things that you look at in the in the cycle? So I'm in charge of the um, of the websites uh, musical.org and musical.com, um, and uh, that's been uh, an ongoing efforts since 2008, so we launched musical.org uh, in, in the summer of 2008. And that's basically where the whole uh, contributor community is residing, so, so it grew, grew from there. That's, so that's mainly my, my thing. Uh, also, the MuseScore translation stuff, uh, so setting up a translation server, making sure people can help uh, with the translations and so forth. Uh, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, I, I'm more responsible of the Windows and Mac uh, versions. Uh, I do a lot of bug fixing and support on the forum uh, in uh, in English, but uh, in French as well, because you may have heard that my first language is, <laughs> is French and uh, <laughs> Spanish a bit also. So yeah, I do I do a bit of everything, and I help. Uh, I try to unload our uh, lead programmer uh, Werner. Uh, because well, he's very busy uh, into the code and only the code, so I try to uh, hide him and unload uh, his uh, um, workload. It's very necessary, I think, that kind of taking the load off the main guy, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> That's something that I thought was uh, really interesting. Having I, I've I've used MuseScore for about for about a year or so, and I, I use Sibelius as well, and, and Finale sometimes if needed. But going into the the MuseScore forums, it's really great to see how open the whole conversation is about the code and about what's happening and about development and about the future things. Um, could, could you talk a little bit about the forums or, or a little bit about future development? Or, or what ideas come into you from the users, I guess, is the question I'm asking. 
Um, sure. So, so the the way MuseScore has been de developed from the start was mainly just Wagner who had an idea and who wanted to develop it for himself. Now, um, since we launched the forums. Uh, Obviously, we got a lot of requests. The main request for ourselves uh, at back in the days was uh, make MuseScore a bit better for lead sheets. Um, so when I when we jumped on board, uh, there wasn't a way to add score notations or um, yeah, score cool. names. And so um, that was yeah how it started for me at least. Um, and then yeah, people start explaining what they want to do and and. Um, yeah, f from there it, it grew, it grew. Um, yeah, that's what I could say about, uh, yeah, about how it works, yeah. Yeah, the forum, are, are, the forum have two facets, I think. One is only musicians that go to the forum and they are looking for help and just, uh, just yeah, a, a way to use the software more efficiently or to, to make something sp specific with the software. And then there are some people who are more tech-savvy and, and more uh, more into computers, and, and then they want to know how it works, and, and they want to add something to, to it. And we also have a plugin framework, so even with a little, just a little of uh, uh, programming knowledge, you can add your stuff to MuseScore. And if you have a, are an harmonica player or, or something very specific and you want to add tablature for your instrument or you want to color the notes in a specific way, uh, you can make a, a, a very small program to, to make it happen. So, yeah, we try to open it even to not uh, computer wizards. Yeah. And given that you've only got a certain amount of, of developer time and, and coding time, how do you decide what features get put in? Like, for example, uh, I've seen that there's talk about putting in um, more uh, better guitar tab notation, so something that's more intuitive for guitar tab users. How, out of all the competing possible musical notations, how do you decide what goes in? Uh, it wasn't really a decision process <laughs> in, in, in this case. Um, basically, Wagner, the lead developer, is a, he's a piano player, so he has no knowledge whatsoever about uh, tablature, neither did I, and I guess Nicola uh, did have uh, some, um, some knowledge about it. Uh, but in the end, none of the three of us knew uh, how it should be implemented, and it was just waiting for the right guy. And that right, right guy was uh, Miwari from, from Italy. And right. um, yeah, he, um, he made it happen. So for Musical to the Do, it's, it will be there. And um, if um, oh, we still need some, some people uh, uh, testing it. So uh, there, there are the nightly downloads. So uh, people are welcome to download these and then report bugs back because uh, uh, I think we still need some, uh, yeah, some stress testing on, uh, on tablatures. And that's the great thing about the open source aspect of the program is that you don't have to go and find someone and hire them if you need to fit something in that isn't your core co competency as far as music is concerned. Mm -hmm. You can just put a plea out, say, okay, we're MuseScore, and we really want to... It'll be, it'll be amazing to have Guitar Tab. Can anyone do this? And someone will come along and say, yeah, I'll do that. That's my thing. And you know that's that must be one of the huge benefits of working in the open source domain. 
Yeah, of course, it, it does help if we promote it a bit, uh, meaning we knew that a lot of people were asking for tablature. So any time we went to open source conferences like FOSDEM in Brussels, uh, we, we talked to a bunch of people and we said, if someone knows about uh, tablature, please join and, uh, and help us. Uh, now, eventually, the Italian developer, he just showed up. Uh, I, I don't think he... Uh, he, um, yeah, he started doing it uh, because we asked. He mainly wanted to do him, it himself, and that's the right thing to do. I mean, it's open source. It's uh, itching, um, scratching your an itch. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it went. Cool. One of the other key features of the open source element of the you know, element of the project as well, especially in relation to our interview we did last week, is obviously as an open source program, development is in the open, but also it could be forked as people wanted to be. And there's a real assurance that as if, if the individual is willing to invest in it, then you can, you know, you'll, you'll be able to open a Muse score file for a long time into the future. You'll be just able to open them and access them as you want to and keep that stuff up to date as well, which is a really exciting kind of, kind of feature. Could you say a little bit about the file format that you, that Muse score uses? Is it a... So the file format of Muse score is uh, XML. Uh, it's a zipped XML, in fact, so you can you can read it and you can make a software to read it. Um, with that being said, we don't, do, do not advise to do it. MuseCore it's, it's a it's a software to to read and write this type of files, and um, and we try to uh, to push people to to use uh, Music XML. And Music XML is a, is a standard between all the score uh, writers, um, but. Uh, well, the, soft, the, the, the format is open, so you can you can see it in the musical format. Um, uh, the interchange between all, uh, other score writers like Sibelius and Finale and Musco is made with uh, Music XML, and this one is standardized with the documentation and so on. That's less true for the musical format. Cool. Awesome, awesome stuff. So um, I don't know. Ed, the, well, the final thing I'd like to ask a little bit about is the. Um, musco.com community site where you talk about uh, for sharing music and the kind of mobile applications you, that are also in development. Could you say a little bit about that kind of part of the project? Sure. Um, so we started musco.com, at least the development of it, uh, yeah, somewhere at the end of 2010 and really launched it uh, last year, 2011. And um, there were a couple of reasons why we made it. So first of all, because... Uh, we figured if people make sheet music with the Muse score, they want to share it and they want to show it to the world. And uh, second, uh, I'm a big user of, uh, of Flickr, um, so the photo sharing site. And I liked having a, the idea of having a Flickr, but then for sheet music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it all came nicely together. Why? Because as Muse score was growing, we also saw a need uh, for ourselves to um, yeah, make some kind of a sustainable business model behind MuseCore. Um, and uh, thinking about Flickr and the fact that it's a freemium-based uh, website so where people can uh, buy a pro account and then have unlimited storage, uh, we thought, let's do the same thing then for sheet music. Uh, let's start MuseScore.com. Um, and have people let give people a place where they can upload their scores. Obviously, as uploading scores takes some storage space and, and uh, it, it takes some processing time of servers, uh, we have a cost, and therefore we are asking $49 per year uh, so they can buy a pro account. 
And uh, right now we are focused on uh, making apps, mobile apps for uh, iOS and Android. And, uh, and that takes quite some time because uh, uh, we had to refactor uh, MuseCore code in order to, uh, to make this happen. But uh, normally, if all goes well, by the end of the year, we'll have uh, those apps ready. Um, and then anything that is being posted on uh, the Sheet Music sharing, sharing site, music.com, will, uh, will be just one click to download it into your uh, mobile um, device, either tablet, either smartphone. And you can uh, listen to it, you can transpose it, uh, you can make it bigger, smaller, and so forth. So uh, it's, it will be just a great way to have your whole Sheet Music collection with you uh, anywhere, anytime. And, uh, and that's what we envisioned with, uh, with musical.com. Awesome stuff. That sounds, that sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. Really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's also an answer to, um, to the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the things we often hear. So with, with the Sibelius story, like, uh, it's open source. So how are, are they going to make money or, uh, so, so who, who is behind it? Eh? How will open source make sure that it will, will continue and improve and so on? Well, basically we've, we've now this, this small company with myself, with Nicola and with Werner, uh, our lead developer. And, um, with Muse.com, uh, we can, uh, we can get revenue and then, uh, dedicate full-time on MuseCore development. Um, and we do this already now for the past, uh, yeah, I, well, <laughs> some years now, actually. <laughs> and and so um, that's how we can uh, can make sure that MuseCore can further grow. Um, so there is no special magic uh, behind this. It's just uh, if some people can dedicate full-time uh, on an open-source project that they like, well, things can go fast. And uh, people will see it uh, as they will be able to download uh, MuseCore to the dough in, in the future. They will see it's a tremendous uh, improvement over MuseCore 1 to dough, and it will compete uh, with the commercial competitors. And, uh, and yeah, meaning there won't be any reason anymore, I guess, to, to really use one of the commercial competitors uh, if, if uh, MuseCore to the dough is out there except for the high end of the industry, the publishers and so forth. If it's just about amateurs, semi-professionals, they will be happy with MuseCore. Um, I'd like to throw in one hypothetical question for you. Um, <clears throat> last week, when we were talking to Derek Williams, I think the, the idea of uh, one of the problems that they were having with Sibelius and Avid was that Avid seemed to be refusing to sell Sibelius on. Um, but then there's, you know, there's the question of could Sibelius become an open source program? If Sibelius did become open source, then where where would that kind of lie with you guys and MuseScore? Would would you work across platforms? Do you think across the two programs, or would you dedicate completely to MuseScore, or would you maybe try to merge the two together? So I can answer a bit. Uh, I, I think uh, Sibelius is several uh, millions of uh, code, of line of code. I, I don't know, I, I never saw the code, of course, but it's probably a, a, a bunch of code. And, mm. uh, and MuseCore is like uh, 500 or 700,000 line of code. So it's two huge projects. Uh, merging them will be, I think, extremely uh, hard. That's mm. for one. And your first... Uh, um, Hypothesis or your first if 
I think it's a big one, uh, meaning uh, open sourcing a, a, a proprietary software is so very hard because there are dependencies. Uh, you may depend on other people um, software, uh, other company software that you pay for, and you you got a license for for it and so on. So, yeah, I don't think they they will make it uh, to to open source it. I don't think they want it. But even if they they wanted it, uh, I'm not sure they, they can do it. I think it's an interesting idea that Sibelius might open source, but I, I have to agree with you. It doesn't seem like the two things could be merged. Um, d jumping back a little bit to what Thomas was saying uh, a second ago, that it, it's always seemed to me that because I started off as a Finale user and then I moved on to Sibelius simply because Sibelius was faster. You could learn it faster. You could pick it up quicker. Sibelius did one very clever thing, that they captured the school market very quickly. So suddenly, once it, soon after Sibelius came out, every school in the country was using Sibelius. They just they managed to capture that. And it seems like something that MuseScore could easily do, because schools are so... Schools are always strapped for money. So the idea of having an easy and relatively cheap way to do things, it, it, seems, like a, it seems like something that maybe it would be worth exploring for MuseScore uh, uh, to make it easy for schools to adopt their program. Well, it's it's happening already. Um, oh, great! So we we know there are quite some um, some cuts uh, in the budgets uh, everywhere, actually. So uh, also, I particularly in the U.S. Um, and so what happens right now is that MuseScore is being um, shipped uh, uh, pre-installed on an image that is then used to ship directly to yeah. Ten thousands of uh, computers in, in in one district, and um, we see we saw that this happening in Australia. This happened in a few states in the U.S. This happened closer to you in Scotland in Edinburgh. This happened in uh, Switzerland, uh, uh, and and I'm sure I forget a lot right now. But um, and these are these are installs that we don't know of in the sense that we the only thing we know are are, are uh, I, or downloads, um, but we don't know how many, yeah, um, basically installs are happening right now worldwide. But we think it's a lot, uh, especially since uh, we got quite some uh, some people uh, talking about it uh, to us and uh, explaining how, yeah, they like MuseScore and the fact it's free. And, and often we get those questions like, uh, do, uh, we, who do we need to ask permission for to, uh, <laughs> to distribute MuseScore? Well, no one. I mean, the GPL license is there. It, it says it all. Uh, still, people are asking because they don't know about the GPL license. But it's uh, it's happening fast. And um, again, I, I don't know what it means for Finale or or, or Sibelius, um, but uh, it's it's going fast, and it's it's only going faster. Uh, and of course, uh, a free price tag is uh, is an unbeatable price. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's all I can say. <laughs> That's that's really good news to hear. That that's really uh, kind of a, I don't know inspiring for the future. I hope that continues to go well with 2.0. Yeah, thank you. Awesome stuff. Well, um, I'd like to thank you both for coming on and talking to us about MuseScore. Uh, you can find out more about MuseScore at MuseScore.org and MuseScore.com for the kind of mobile and kind of score sharing stuff. Obviously, it's um, open source uh, software, so um, I know that it's available inside Yum, and it was also available through Pac-Man as well for people on Fedora and Arch, but um, uh, I know Ubuntu has it as well, and there's a Debian release, so, you know, um, if you're if you're on a Linux platform, you can probably uh, install it while you listen to the end of the show, which is nice, <laughs> as they say. One of the great features of open source. It's an app store, which is good. 
as opposed to the bad app stores. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. if you need if you need help, we have the IRC channel, uh, so MuseCore, and you will find Nikolai in there uh, under the name Laconique, and uh, he's the guy to ask if you have building problems. And it's on GitHub as well. So awesome go to stuff. GitHub and fork it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a big super fork that we uh, that, that's awesome stuff. It's, um, obviously, you can get all those show notes and all those details from the audio podcast at UK, and this is a show 68, so it's nice and quick and easy to find out. Uh, th- thank you very much, guys. Is there um, Perhaps you just want to say a final word if people are interested in your own projects or about yourselves, if you, if you want to just link for yourselves. That'd be cool. Uh, just let us know on uh, on on, on musecore.org. Uh, sign up for the forum and let us know what you think about musecore, what you would like to see in, in musecore 2.0, and and yeah, that's it. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> awesome stuff. Cool. Well, we're we're, we're going to transition into the into the normal part of the show, into the news. You're more than welcome to hang around and join in if you want to. It becomes a bit of a free for all, so. Uh, feel free to if you want to. Okay. Uh, for anybody watching or listening, as always, the show notes are at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 68. I'm going to head into the news. Adam, we're going into the news. Scott, we're going into the news. And it's the final news of this season. Oh, no. Well, it's fine, though. We'll be back for a new season, and there'll be new news. That's very true. So um, I don't know about other people, but when I get monit- when I'm you know working in my studio, I just have my monitors strewn around the room in places where they're convenient. So I have one on a window sill and over on top of a printer. But um, Genelec think it's important that we position our monitors correctly and have released an iOS app to facilitate this. Um, yeah. Speaker angle, I believe its name is. Yeah. Speaker angle, and it works for both stereo and surround systems. So. You know, if you've got your spangly new Genelec 5.1 system out there, you're covered. No problem. When you say spangly, if you added glitter to the, yours, is it a little kind of little sparkles? Is yeah, yeah. I, I, what I did was, you know, you, you know the, the jackets the cowboys wear that have those little things that dangle down on the front there? Yeah. Uh, I've done that with a staple gun on the bottom. So, And then you can just kind of run your fingers underneath it um, to, to dry them if you've got wet hands. That's that's very nice. It it is actually from what I could tell. Obviously, I don't have don't like speakers. I don't have a an iPhone. So, you know, I mean, I've oh. you know, I was cut off from really exploring this story in those two two ways. But um, from what I can tell, you actually put your phone on top of the speaker, and then you re you orientate the speaker with the phone sitting on top of it, and that's actually what gives you the kind of the feedback as to it's in the correct position for where it needs to be. Interesting. Sounds, sounds interesting because. You'd have to put it in the right di- the, the right place on top of the speaker, but how does it tell? How how does it know, or what angle the speaker's at? If you do that, maybe the compass. Oh, that's interesting. Genelec speakers are not the most flat. That is by I don't mean in terms of their spectrum. <laughs> I mean, it's literally on top. They're not so flat, but I, no, I guess they not figured the out anyway, a way to work that. They they like their curviness on on the newer models, but the old ones are very square. It work quite well for those. Um, do do you know if this works for other speakers as well, or is it tuned particularly for Genelec monitors? I, I suspect that it's been tuned for Genelec speakers, but one would suggest that a box with a speaker in it is a box with a speaker in it. Well, I imagine that the developer, whose name is Howard Massey, is probably playing a, a, a cool little game here. He's probably thinking, right, we'll get Janelec on board. Now we'll get Adam on board, not me, the speaker company, uh, Event, 
we'll get all these different companies on board and we'll make a separate app for each one and that will be a much better business model for us than making one app that works with all of them. But that's completely guessing, completely guessing. Anyway, so uh, uh, Speaker Angle is available from the iOS store. It'll work on your iPad, iPhone and iPod Touch uh, and it's geared towards Genelec speakers at the moment. Yay. Yay. Awesome stuff. Um, books. Did, did you know that people still write books? They do. Um, really? How Leonard have released the, the follow-up to um, Zen and the Art of Mixing with, uh, with Zen and the Art of Producing, uh, written by Mixerman and available now. Great. These aren't linked at all. Apart from through the title, they're not linked to the, to the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, are they? I don't know. I, I read a bit of that and then I got sidetracked, but it was quite good up to the point. Not this book, the motorcycle maintenance one. Um, I, as always, I kind of went looking in the blurb, um, just pulling a bit of the blurb out that I quoted. Um, the, the roles of an effective producer as budget manager, time manager, personnel manager, product manager, arranger, visionary, and leader without ever foregoing <laughs> the politics involved in the process. Wow. That's a, that's a wide-ranging, and now hopefully uh, as wide-ranging will be the app that Behringer have released for the new X32 mixing desk. And I have finally read the Sound on Sound review of the mixing desk, and it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. I'd be interested to try one out. Um, but you can now get the, I'm guessing that's pronounced Z-Control, but it's spelled X-I control um, and that will connect up to your Behringer X32 um, and allow you to change mix and monitor levels on the wireless network and you can daisy chain iPads so you can have multiple, that's pretty cool up to 10 iPads at a time can be used to, uh, to, to control it, yeah, and wow. the monitoring is real time, it will actually give you real time it will actually give you an illustration of real time monitoring levels on any of the kind of channels or buses or outputs on the desk so handy. So basically, the idea would be that you give one of these to like each member of the band or something, and they could actually can and, and they could actually maybe change their own monitor mix or that kind of thing. And I know that you could you could potentially do that, but I had a very quick look look around at the system, and it it seemed that while that is definitely something you could do eventually, at the moment it looks like all of the iPads have the same amount of control over everything. So you'd probably be a little bit have to be a bit cautious of doing that because potentially your bass <laughs> player could decide he wants more bass and inadvertently turn up the front of house and or you know play with the whole mix. But certainly as a usage case, I think you've nailed it. That would be a really great usage case for for that kind of thing, and you know it'd be a, a nice kind of powerful system to to be used for that sort of stuff there as well. Well, if anyone from Behringer's listening, you know credit goes to us here at the Audio Podcast, um, and you know we've got quite a few app-related news stories. And the next one is a multi-track app for yeah. iPad. Now, this one looks like it's like um, the dogs, and I won't say the next word. Um, it, it looks like it's very fully featured. It's got lots of tracks of playback, lots of tracks, tracks of... Indeed. Lots of tracks of recording. If you 24 use, tracks. A, a compatible audio interface via the camera connector um, upgrade. Um, it has plug-in support for VST, but iOS only, iOS, 
only iOS ones. Um, and then you can jump your projects between other DAWs using AAF format. Um, and it has editing and mixing involved too. So, I mean, that's that's fascinating because that seems like a huge amount of functionality for an iPad app. Yeah. Is is anybody really buying this I, I you know, iPad app to do this though? Has has anybody actually done it yet? Um people keep releasing apps to do this, but I I don't look at well, you know, my, my generation one iPad has actually been a little bit flaky re- in the last couple of weeks. It's just started to kind of sl- go a bit sluggish and seize up every now and again and I I don't know why that is, but are are people really kind of risking kind of a gig recording on this on on their iPad? Is that... Well, I don't know if that's what it's for, and I I don't think that a pro would trust this as a multi-track recorder for a live gig scenario. Um, but I suppose it's it's a development, isn't it? Because we there are other ones that do like eight tracks of recording, and but it's they're limited in other ways. One of the biggest limitations that I I see on this format is the plugins. You can download free VST and AU plugins for your Mac or PC-based DAW, but there's always been a limitation here on the uh, in the iOS sphere. So it looks like there's some way around that now with this iOS format version. Um, though the limitations of the store mean that you'll have to buy all new plugins again even if you own them already for the Mac, because there's no way around it. But anyway, I mean, that looks interesting. And, you know, the first thing I thought was, there's no way that works. There's no way that you could properly mix something on there. It'll be too difficult. Uh, it'll frustrate the hell out of anybody. But I'm actually willing to give it a try. So I, I might download that and have a little bit of a play. And if I do, we can do a little report on it on a future version of the audio podcast. I'd be very interested to see how the uh, how the hardware handles up. I mean, I have trouble playing 24 tracks back on my MacBook Pro. I'd be very interested to see how the processor on the iPad handles it. Oh yeah, I that was one thing I was thinking was there's no way you, you couldn't do a proper full mix on that. Not enough processing power, but no. oh, maybe there's a way of bouncing down so you can print your effects or you know they could have some sort of fancy track freezing thing the the or some sort of clever buffering system who knows but it does seem it those numbers 48 tracks and 24 tracks they seem pretty ambitious yeah of yeah. course if you had an external sound card running into it would that take the load or would that take some of the pressure off no no uh, one thing that would help the ipad is the same thing that would help a um i can't remember what it's called my uh, an ssd based storage system is that there's not a hard drive lim- limiting the amount of audio that's being flown off the uh, off the device uh, into processing so there's not a, a bottleneck there but you still need processing power to do everything so track count actually yeah maybe track counts all right but it'll be processing that will be the limitation yeah I, I would also suggest that the USB interface will maybe fall behind if you try and do you know, 24 tracks all at once as well, because you're getting pretty close to the top of, well, I, I think you'd probably be beyond USB 2 at that point there, really, so. But most people, you know, eight is probably a decent number of tracks to to expect people to want to record at once. So, anyway, I think it'll be worth a, a look, and uh, as I say, I might download that, might give that a try. Yeah. Um, 
in 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 our review of it as well, well, in our feature listing as we just did there, we forgot to mention that key uh, door function that everybody looks for as well, Dropbox support. So Dropbox. Oh, no, Sound, SoundCloud support as well, yeah. I think. Dropbox and SoundCloud. Programmable yeah. pan laws. Nice. <laughs> There's a great typo in there as well. I, I've typoed it and put a fro, which I was quite happy about. I'm going to leave that one there. <laughs> Multitrack recorder fro. It's just like a big haircut for it. It's, uh, no. I think I but saw that. Yeah, I, I saw that when I read it the first time. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. So um, as we know, technology can be used for good and for evil. And um, the, internet, <laughs> the, the Internet Archive has uh, stepped up here with a very deliberate play, which I commend, and that is to uh, draw everybody's attention to the fact that the Internet Archive actually seeds torrents um, of legally available media that they host on the Internet Archive, and they're pushing on to the torrents. So I'm going to... They have literally tens of thousands of them and adding more and more all the time. Concerts by Maroon 5, Jack Johnson, Tenacious D... There's loads of stuff there. But the extension to this, this story that I think is the most interesting thing is that the reason they've done it is, first of all, it's actually faster. It's, it's quicker to BitTorrent this. It's, it's, it's quicker to torrent this than it is to do a straight download from their servers. But the second thing is they're actually also proactively exploring how to use the torrent locations to actually provide the archive as a way of getting over the massive amount of storage space that they're constantly needing and requiring. So I, I thought this was really exciting to see, to kind of put a line in the sand and to say, you know, this technology has a, we, we all knew it had a good and positive use as well. And here's a, a very kind of strong organization making a statement of intent here, which, which I thought was commendable. So hence someone I wanted to put it in there. You know, and here, the here. Internet Archive are the guys who do the Wayback Machine, aren't they? That's right, yes. Yeah, awesome. So, Okay, and... Uh, that finishes the news. Slightly less news today because we had the interview earlier. But interestingly, this uh, week we do have some other news. Um, other news being kind of administrative. I mean, I, that's what I see. It. Scott doesn't like that term. Uh, but um, the audio podcast administrative type things. But it probably isn't actually looking at them. So, Scott, would you like to um, start us on the other? Yeah, why not? Um, well, the first one, it, it concerns me, but um, I'm going to be at Old Camp in Liverpool this coming weekend. So um, I just thought that I would, uh, you know, just say that I'm going to be there. And if you're going to be there as well, then it'd be great to please come say hi and say that you listen to the show. Like, yeah, don't feel. forget to bring your, your autograph books because Scott Hewitt will be there and he might even have a pen. Can we get an autograph iPad up? I, I, I won't have a pen. I'll have a netbook, I guess, if you want. I could, you know... Are you going to have a stylus? It just we, has to be compatible touch, with the other person. We could touch netbooks or something like that, I guess. <laughs> um, unlikely to have a pen, but but we could touch. But I I just thought you know um yeah if if you're if if somebody's listening and they're going to be there and you want to say hi that's absolutely awesome I'm very happy for that to happen please don't feel that you know I mean I'm I'm very very happy about that you shouldn't feel like you'll be disturbing me because you won't be at all so that's cool um old camp is a, a celebrate is an unconference of kind of creative commons open culture open source all that kind of cool and good stuff um it's hosted by the ubuntu uk podcast and uh linux outlaws and uh, and with six gun productions so um you know hey there's two really cool podcasts that you can also enjoy while we're not there only linux outlaws is recorded on mondays generally right now at the same time so that's not Ooh, ideal but... listen to the audio <laughs> podcast <laughs> 
That's awesome stuff. Okay, um, Scott, I, other Scott, I think you're, you're going to be at this, maybe, if my notes serve me correctly as well. At our camp. No, you're not going to be no, our the camp. Next one, the next, the next one. And the, uh, the audio podcast falls silent. This is not on my webpage. Re- oh. Reload it. It's online. Reload, it, reload the page. Reload the page. It's online. It's online. So um, it, it's another appearance that... Oh. No. 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 I'm, I'm not at that. You're not there? Oh, my apologies. Well, um, <laughs> it's funny because last year all three of us were there that, that, in some capacity or another. That's very true. But um, in terms of unofficial uh, audio podcast international appearances, um, myself and Alex Harker... Um, are going to be at the uh, International Computer Music Conference in Slovenia in s- September as well. So Woo! I wish I could be there. It's very beautiful. If if you want to come say so, please come say hi to me there as well. That'd be fine. I'd enjoy that. That's kind of cool. Don't forget autograph books. Alex Harker's going to be there too. You could get Alex Harker's autograph. Just think how much I'll be worth in ten years. It'll be amazing. Okay, and um, the last bit of ad- administrative news is that, of course, we're coming to the end of this season of the audio podcast. So there's going to be a little gap uh, through the rest of August. And are we back on the 10th of September? Yeah. Sure. So we're, we're back on the 10th of September. Um, Sam Freeman, uh, Samuel Freeman, who's been away for a couple of weeks, uh, his kind of schedule changed a little bit and he ended up doing something else on Monday evenings. Um, is going to be back on the 10th. That's because I'll be at ICMC, so my intention is to make is to record the show from there, but in case I'm not there, he's definitely going to be here to do that. So um, he will be, yeah. So we'll be back on the 10th, all things hopefully working out like that. So, um, yeah, that, that, that'd that be cool. Um, I've, if you want to suggest things that we should do or people that we should, you know, interview or anything like that, that'd be, you know, you should send us an email. Uh, Sam wanted me to say thanks to you know all of our various guests and presenters and guest presenters that we've had over this past season as well. It's Semi-professional guest presenters. Yeah. And, and we mentioned <laughs> that all the shows are, Adam already mentioned that all the shows are on, online all the way from episode one as audio. So you can go back and have a listen to them and it's pretty entertaining to be honest. It's, uh, it's entertaining because the earlier ones are, are not of the same quality as... Uh, as the later ones, but you can basically see the trajectory of the audio podcast from a small seed sown into the internet, into the, um, it's not an oak tree yet, you know, we're not that far far up, but, but it's solid, it's a good old tree, and it's growing, and it, it's going well, it's, it's going well. So come back for season five of the audio podcast on the 10th of September. Yeah, and I've, I've managed to get my list of guests up. I was trying to frantically do that when you asked me a question. I was like, oh, pants. So I'm going to go through them. Um, this season, we had uh, Spencer Salzar talking to us about Chuck and the um, Chuckins that were being built. That's awesome. They're in no particular order. It's a bit of a mess. I'm sorry about this. We had uh, the VMware interview with Peter Forrest. That was a lot of fun back in March. Um, Dan Stowell about the Super Collider Symposium that happened earlier on this year. We had a Frank Bry of TheRecordist.com as well, where we uh, talked about microphones falling into water. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, we had David Zaccarelli, David Butler, and Franz Rosati um, as part of um, the Max for You kind of series of interviews and live show that we did. Um, obviously, we had um, oh, my notes are going crazy. Today's musical one, which was awesome as well. Uh, that was cool. Um, Adam Yanch with the Futures EP. 
We got him before <laughs> Laverne. Before Laverne on BBC Radio 6. We were happy about that. Um, Derek Williams of Sibelius Users. Uh, we had Jean-Baptiste of Music Hackspace. Jean-Baptiste Football. The Music Hackspace in there. Jesse Allison of ElectroTap. And that was it. Wow, that was a lot of interviews. Yeah. Sorted. Let's hope we have as many ones next time and of the same quality because a lot of those have been very interesting. Yeah, it's been very interesting indeed. Now, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to just halt proceedings for a moment to prepare for our last section of today's audio podcast. It is Palunder! Nice. There we go. <laughs> right, that, that's us done then, I guess, yeah? Yeah, okay. So let's... Um... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, plunder items. Uh, first of all, a bit of an in-house plug, but Creative Pack 2012 starts on the 1st of September. We talked about yeah. it last year. It's happening this year. Um, I think we've all been part of it before. It's a great way to... Well, basically, you commit to doing something creative every day of September. It's a great way to learn a new programming language, to learn a new DAW, to learn a new instrument, to finish a composition, to write a composition, to write a story, or to do anything you want whatsoever. And Anything yeah. goes. It's just a great excuse to prompt you to complete and do something so um and the key yeah. part of it is that you have to document it as you go so during september you have some internet documentation uh hosted wherever uh your favorite blogging platform or your website or whatever and you just uh make sure to keep on documenting it uh so everyone knows um your documentation uh the links to everyone's documentation are actually at the creative pact website which is creativepact.co.uk. So you can see everyone is taking part and you can check out how they're getting on. And that starts on the 1st of September. Scott, how does someone get in touch if they're interested? Uh, go have a look at creativepact.co.uk and just send an email or a tweet. And what are you doing this year? I haven't committed yet, actually. My, my intention was to podcast every day like I did in September last year. It was a lot of fun. I did loads and loads of really cool and exciting interviews. But I'm moving house the very last week of August, and I'm away in Slovenia for a week in September. So I'm trying to work out how the practicalities of podcasting every day would work. And the answer is that I'd probably have to pre-record shows instead. And I'm, I'm you know... That's not really the, the kind of point. It's not really in the spirit of it if you do it all ahead of time and then... Like do it all in the second half of August, and then just do the documentation in September. Um, but yeah, no, no. It, again, the whole point of creative practice, you've got to try and work it around your life. It shouldn't take everything of your life away, but it's the challenge is to to actually integrate it into your life and show you that actually you can integrate a creative project or another creative project into your already hectic schedule. Um, I I've been half and half between things uh, I was thinking I want to do something with Max MSP um, I might still do something with Max MSP I might go and buy a £50 S1 uh, S1100 sampler in a shop just around the corner from me and do something with that um, kind of thinking a bit of MIDI that'd be kind of cool but basically I'm thinking I want to create some kind of um, re record maybe 10-15 minutes something I can whack up on Bandcamp at the end and say, that's what I did for for, Bank, for, for Creative Pact 2012. How about you, McLaughlin? I think I'm back on the processing trail, 
it's been a it's been a couple of years. I haven't been using it much over the last couple of years, but I'm going to be using it a lot more this year. So I think Creative Packed Month will be my month to get back into processing in a serious way. So I'll, I've got I've got to dream up a couple of little projects for it. But yeah, yeah, that's excellent awesome. Excellent cool. news. Let's uh, ride that pirate ship further down the uh, metaphorical <laughs> internet coast and head into the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fell over there. And head on to uh, the, the next item of plunder. Um, I've entitled it How to Use FX. Uh, Alan and Heath have a video tutorial discussing the use of FX um, in a live performance situation given by Mark E.G. And obviously it's focused around their DB4 mixer, but you know a lot of the kind of discussion about the kind of you know techniques to use and things to use obviously are transferable between stuff. And it's also, obviously it's a fun video and they've actually made a made an archive of the loops used in the video available for download as well, which is kind of cool. And they have a cool blog. I didn't know that Alan and Heath kind of did a blog like that, but they have. it's actually a pretty cool blog. So um, I think I put the link into it. Yeah, the link for the blog would be in there as well. So, you know, that might be... It's worth checking out, you know? It's kind of and fun. even if it weren't, Scott, you could update the page at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Yeah. Ah. There's a less cool typo in that one, so I'll definitely go fix that one. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, next piece of plunder. I, now, I presumed everybody knew this, but maybe they don't. So, Lifehacker had an article about using aggregate devices in OSX. Now, they've been there since. I know they've been there in 10.6. Were they not there in 10.4 as well? No, I don't think so. That, or maybe, but it wasn't as obvious or something. I can remember having to set something like that up for Ardor. But that might have been on 10.6. So okay. uh, it came to my notice during that time frame. During 10 point, maybe 10.5, not sure. Um, but yeah, aggregate devices, very interesting thing that's actually built into the operating system uh, of Mac OS X and is available in at least 10.6 and upwards. And this article, I suppose, is about how you set up an aggregate device, which is basically where you can take inputs and outputs of any connected and I suppose compatible audio interface and create a kind of uh, virtual audio interface from this combination of inputs and outputs. Yeah. It, it's that really does. cool. Like, I use it all the time for all sorts of stuff. But I, I haven't really. I mean, because I just tend to use it. I, I just have everything on my one unit and just keep to that unit. Uh, that's the that's the logical part of me, so I'm I'm quite happy. But it's good to know it's there if you need it. Yeah, definitely so. That's okay, awesome. the next uh, the next one is actually one I well the next two two that I put in. Um, okay, the first is Sufi plugins. Um, I actually found this uh, article on adhoc.fm, which is a music blogging site. If you're uh, at all interested in uh, listening to new music coming out, but that when it's a new music, I mean kind of pop-based stuff, but stuff that's more alternative, more um, lo-fi or DIY, head to adhoc.fm and you can follow their RSS feed as I do and go through their tunes. One of their articles was about the Sufi plugins, which is a plugin set for Ableton, made, it looks like it's a, a Max for Live type deal, so they're made in Max, but they run in Ableton. And they're designed to basically uh, eschew the whole idea of like four four and standard uh, standard uh, pitching and uh, 
I can't remember what it's called when things are atonal, atonal stuff, and uh, and and kind of move your music creation towards uh, other types of uh, time signature, other types of harmony and melody. Uh, so um, it's their intention to make these as VST plugins in the future, but at the moment you can download the free Ableton Live versions of these. Uh, so head to the link in the uh, in the audiopodcast.co.uk website that links uh, to that. Uh, and the last thing on our agenda here, Scott, is Studio One free. Free. Now, free stuff is pretty cool. Um, basically, I, I was kind of having a look at Studio One last week or the week before, and I was like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and there are two different ways you can go. You can, if you want to try this out, you can either get the demo of Studio One version two Pro and use it completely unlocked with all its functionality for thirty days, or you can download Studio One free and use it as long as you like. It's you don't need a license code or anything like that, but it's not a full version of the software. It's a kind of limited version. We've got a, uh, a link to the comparison page that says, okay, this is what the different versions of Studio One have got. So if you're interested to see what it or how it stacks up to the pro version, head to the audio podcast show notes for today. Um, but yeah, I thought it's uh, the, the basic functionality is there. So if you want to try out Studio One, um, and not feel like you have to really go for it in 30 days because the demo will run out. Try Studio One free. You can use it as long as you like, um, and you know you can do all, you can save and load and all that kind of thing. Nothing like that is missing. Uh, it's just got some limited. Some of the more advanced things in Pro are not available in free. So there you go. Now, when you say free, I just want to clarify: this is free as in beer, but not as in speech. So, um, un- unlike MuseScore, which is a completely open source free project, this is a proprietary yes. code base, but it's available free of charge. Studio One Free, <coughs> sorry, Studio One Free is made by PreSonus, so it is a proprietary product, but it is available for zero pounds or zero dollars um, if you're in America. So, yes. Thank you for bringing up that uh, that subtlety. Yes, I just wanted to clarify that. And with that, we uh, we we make it to the end. It's been quite a long show, but we've had some very interesting. We've had a, a fascinating interview about MuseScore, and you know the standard stuff that we have in the audio podcast every week. Yeah, that 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 is very very. True. And Scott McLaughlin. And Scott McLaughlin, yeah. And Scott McLaughlin, which is, you know, we haven't had Scott McLaughlin in for a while, but it's good to see him. Now I have a microphone. Oh. So um, I'd, I'd like to say thank you to Thomas and Nicholas, who were on at the start of the show, um, for talking to us about MuseScore. That was awesome. Thanks, uh, you, guys. Yeah. You can get all the, uh, all the show notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show 68 show slash 68. I made a bit of a hash of that, didn't I? That was nice. Um, I'll remind you that we will be back on the 10th of September. He says, just checking the notes. Yes, T- 10th of the September. We'll be back again at 7 p.m. London time, which is cool. Um, just come check us out in the Hangout, or obviously we appear on iTunes and everything else a little bit later on, on, t- on by Tuesday, which is a lot of fun. Um, 
I've been, well, I am Scott Hewitt. I intend to remain being myself. It's been my greatest <laughs> oh, pleasure. You, you stole and, my bit. You know, stole my bit. This is so much fun. I'm deliberately sabotaging Adam. This is so much fun. It's all right. I'm creative uh, enough to get around it. That, 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 that's very good. Um, I'm going to, well, uh, yeah, you guys want to say bye as well? You go first, Scott. I've been Scott McLaughlin. And after changing my name by Depol, I have been Supercar. <laughs> I don't know what I said there. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Internet. See Goodbye. you in September. Bye. Bye.